yawn. Why don't we build the best faculty and staff environment that anyone's ever seen on a college campus together? Let's do it. Hello, Lauren. Hey, Kelsey. How are you doing I am doing great. How are you doing? (laughs) This was a fun one. It was a fun one. We are uh, still recording on a Friday and it's late afternoon, so I think we might be a little loopy (laughs) by now. (laughs) Ready for the weekend. Yeah, I am. Why don't you tell us who our guests are today? Yeah, this one was a little different than some of our other podcasts in that we have colleagues we work with all the time on this episode. Uh, Jan Vanden Keeboom is the founding principal and president of Workshop Architects, uh, full disclosure, where I work. And uh, our other guest was Sally Darden, who is the chief brand officer, chief marketing officer for Chartwells, full disclosure, uh, where Kelsey works. And we decided it was time for us to bring on colleagues who um, are part of our leadership sphere. And um, it was just a lot of fun to have them with us. I'll mention just briefly, Workshop uh, specializes in... um, uh, environments, as Jan describes it, that impact people's lives, particularly in higher education, uh, has worked on uh, oh, well over 60 um, campuses across the country. And um, I'll let you say a little bit about Chartwells and, and where Sally is, since you know it so much better than I, and then we'll talk a little bit about what we heard. Right. So Chartwells food service provider operator um, in the higher ed space works with hundreds of colleges and universities across the country. And really the focus, and I think this came out today in the conversation, is around how do we become true partners and have value alignment with the institution that we're working with to serve the needs of the students right on that campus. Yeah. One of the things that I really appreciate, and not just appreciated from today's episode, but appreciate about these two people is what most people see is food being served or buildings being designed, but they bring a perspective and our listeners will hear today. I know this. They bring a perspective to the work that's about purpose, about impact, about transformation. And I I was just so heartened to hear them talk a little bit about why um, food service and why design matters to higher education. And, and it's um, you know important for our higher ed colleagues to hear that, I think. And the interconnectedness of the two. I think we get a little insight into mm. the the back and forth of how two companies like ours work together and why it's mm-hmm. so critical for business partners to have relationships that then benefit even the universities deeper. I mm-hmm. also think their their personal stories and kind of the experiences they had either as children or young adults really shaping the way they show up in their roles today. Yeah, and why they chose higher ed. I mean, that background and shape in the shaping and why that's been really important for them to want to work with higher education specifically, I think is important too. Yeah, well, let's take a listen. Okay. Hello, everybody. We're excited to have you here for an episode of Campus Confidential. We're doing things a little different today. We have two fantastic guests with us that you heard about in the intro. 
And we're really excited to just spend some time diving in to learn more about Sally and Jan. So thank you both for being with us today. Thank you. Yeah, of course. excited to be here. Excellent. So we like to start our episodes with the question, how do you tell a rideshare what driver what you do? But I'd like to do it a little different with the two of you. So you met in Seattle at a conference and you have to get from wherever you're at back to the hotel. So you're sharing an Uber or a Lyft together and the ride and the driver's like, Hey, what, what do you all do? So give us a little insight into what that conversation might look like with Sally and Jan and a ride share driver. Sally. <laughs> so good to see you. Hi, Jan. How are you doing? <laughs> Sally, I, I'm an architect and I, my practice has me on college campuses throughout the country. And I love designing spaces that impact students' lives. Well, that's a coincidence, Jan, because I also work on college campuses and I really am rewarded by changing students' lives and helping them be successful on campus, which includes great food and fun. Seems like they should work together on something. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like it's a match made in heaven. I'm pretty sure we said that pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we had uh, this serendipitous connection at a Mm. conference in Seattle and uh, sat down at a table because I uh, really didn't know anybody in the room. And Sally and her colleagues sat down and said, is it okay if we hang out here for a minute? And and I said, Sally, what do you do? And we discovered that, uh, that not only are we working both in the same space, but I don't, it so quickly got into the purpose of the work Mm. that we do. And it was so interesting to hear from, uh, Sally's perspective, how they're thinking about um, the work that they do and how it how it's changing and, and how it needs to change, as, uh, especially post-pandemic with how students are behaving so differently. And so we, it was truly uh, just such a kind of an immediate connection. Very I, true. I, I just... I just thought, I'm going to sit with that guy with the really cool glasses. I think he's got some neat things to say. And then I stopped you and we sat down. But no, I think one of the things that strikes me about this industry that happens a lot is that you meet people that, you know, we might be performing a service or we might be, you know, in a business situation with the college and university market vertical. But quite frankly, if you're here for very long, you realize that your purpose is all about the students, no matter what the actual services you might be bringing, right? So while um, we, we're feeding them technically, we're really spending a lot of time thinking about how they can be mentally well and make friends and have a community and, and be more likely to graduate on time and be healthy and think well because they're well-nutriented. Nutri- well um, and I think, you know, we, we struck a chord because I feel like you didn't say I designed spaces. You said I designed um, places where students can feel comfortable and thrive. And I was like, well, wait a minute, that sounds very familiar. And then I think, I think we also talked something about how, um, you're working on, um, spaces for students, uh, uh, neuro with neurodivergent needs. And that was ironic because we were thinking about the very same thing. Let's unpack that a little bit. I, I love that. I mean, what, what people see is, 
people in a dining hall, let's say, for example, serving food. Um, and I always contended in my career, if you really want to know what's going on with the students, you talk with the custodial staffs and the dining crews and the people that are with these students, like in their authentic lives, you know, they're not performing in a classroom or something. So just to unpack that a little bit, what is it you're noticing? What do your teams uh, notice uh, is going on today in higher education that you think you can uniquely help with when, when uh, you know, when you think about what's presenting in the student culture and the student life in higher ed, what, how can your teams uniquely help, do you think? Well, it's, it's really interesting. The, um, the profession of architecture and design is changing like, right now. Um, at the same time as People have been so profoundly impacted through the pandemic. And I see not only our firm, but colleagues in other firms <clears throat> taking a much more nuanced approach to how we're thinking about environment and thinking a, a much more nuanced approach about the types and variety of spaces that are needed to, um, to support people's well-being. The I five years ago, um, we used to design for the extroverts, and it was the big wow space, and everybody wanted, you know, uh, everyone wanted this impressive place so that when students walked in, they just felt awe, and when they were considered maybe from a recruiting standpoint, considering the university. Uh, now it's very different. Now we know that we need to um, create this this whole uh, continuum of environments so that people can find um, find a space to re- relate at the that is consistent with where they're at personally. Mm-hmm. How about you, Sally? Yeah, similarly, I think um, it's shocking how. Many times students tell us that it's hard for them to make friends on campus. Um, and we keep thinking when you get, you know, 30,000, 18 to 24 year olds in the same place, um, surely that can't mm-hmm. be true, but um, it, it absolutely is. And so, you know, we've, we've uh, really uh, done a lot of work on how our purpose can be much greater and we can, um, we can help with that mission. So, you know, are moving forward. We, you know, we created a program called Joyful a couple of years ago. I really don't want to go into like all of that, but the reason was mm. is that there were these students coming out of COVID who missed their freshman and sophomore year. They never made friends in, in their, you know, residence halls. And that's a huge place where students make their first introduction and their first friends. And without that, you know, they were kind of lost and there was a lot of loneliness. And so we really saw, wow, you know, no matter what service you're providing to college and university, these students, get into your heart pretty quickly. And so anything we can do while we're there to really help them make friends is, uh, is a huge benefit to them. It's such a strategic outcome, believe it or not, making friends that keeps them really healthy on campus and thriving. Um, so bringing joy is definitely a big uh, focus for us. Sally, just before the pandemic, we met with some folks at one of the number one universities, top universities in our country. And 
they told us that their incoming freshman class that year had self-reported that 70% of the students had never had a friend. And I, my mind was blown. And uh, they were wondering, what, what can they do? They were talking to us from uh, thinking about environment and, and can they create an environments that can support this uh, shared experiences between students and think about that now at post COVID, how, how much more acute that is. And I mean, just this week, I heard a lot about the same issue of, um, of loneliness and just the um, lost abilities to connect with other students. And when I think about the, the work that you're doing around food, because so often that is that's such a powerful tool that we can use in, I think of it in within a space, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's such an elevated purpose now than just a few years ago of, of the work that, that you're doing as well as the, the places that we're creating. I think if you think about yourself that way, right, that's the, that's what happens, right? So if, if we go, if we do our work and say, you know, I'm, I'm here really for the purpose of helping thousands of students have a better life, ultimately, you end up treating your work differently, your brand differently, your company mm -hmm. differently, your people differently, because now all of a sudden it's about, you know, how do I set people up to help students uh, have a social network that um, that they may not otherwise have. And it's not, it's not as hard as we think too. I mean, we have unusual access, you know, we see them at least three times a day and it's not that many, that many companies that are places or people who have that level of access to, to students and that much potential influence outside of the classroom. So we're pretty lucky and fortunate and what a great mission it is. I would say that little conversation right there gives our listeners some insight of to converse conversations that happen between business partners that work in the higher education space. I think a lot of times um, campus individuals are talking with one business partner about solving one potential issue. And what also is happening, and I think is even more important now, is how are multiple partners working together with campuses to help solve and create spaces and move environments together. And so uh, I love hearing the two of you kind of go back and forth on what you would think about and talk about and, and work together on. And one thing Lauren and I wanted to make sure to do with this episode in particular is this will be airing close to the end of our first season of the podcast. And we wanted to make sure that we had guests from Workshop and from Chartwell's Compass Group to really talk about, um, I think, your leadership stories as well. But before we get into the leadership story, you know, who you are as people, can you give us just a little snippet around, we want to hear about kind of the purpose and values of Chartwells and of workshop. So let's start with Chartwells. Sally, why don't you go first and just give us a little snippet about um, where Chartwells is, priorities right now. Yeah, um, thank you for that uh, chance to talk about that. Chartwells is um, we're very focused on uh, student success in all in all manners, and really, you know, I'm really proud of 
what we've done. Cause I think we've brought to market in an industry that didn't always have it a lot of heart. And one of the things I love about this podcast is you say, bringing the heart back to, um, back to campus. And I believe we, we do the same thing. We really come with a mission of, again, bringing joy. Joy is incredibly powerful. It, um, it's incredibly powerful thing to help someone feel joy. And, and when they do, they're, they're more comfortable in everything they do. They're more successful. And so uh, at its core, right, we, we really are, believe it or not, focused on bringing joy to campus and in many different forms because it helps people be successful in so many ways. And I think design is, is a big part of that too. And another place where Jan and I really cross over, but um, we're also focused on things like making sure that we can meet carbon neutrality goals, not only for our company, but for the companies of the, the, the organizations in which we serve. Many have goals of carbon neutrality or zero by 2030 to 2050. Um, and so being ready to go with them or lead them or, you know, follow along um, in that process and our own carbon neutrality goals as well. We have um, a lot of goals about helping international students uh, be here. There are more than there uh, ever were, and they bring so much value to campus in terms of knowledge and um, excitement and diversity. Um, and we know that a lot of our partners are, are excited to have international students on campus, but imagine how lonely that is being by yourself in a whole new, another country. Um, we're very focused on creating the most exciting spaces that are great for diversity and, and have, and treating, um, you know, inclusivity as, as something really modern, meaning thriving on campus, uh, no matter who you are, what you need, that might be a student uh, who 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 has a neurodivergent need. It might be a student who's from another country. It might be a student who's just doesn't uh, make friends that easily, or somebody who needs quiet. Somebody who's an extrovert, right? I think thinking about um, others in a in a very broad way makes us a very different company as well, because we're absolutely laser focused on making sure that all of them feel fantastic when they're with us. Love it, and Jan. Tell us about workshop. Workshops, um, pretty different from um, <laughs> from a lot of uh, a lot of design firms. At our heart, uh, we are a social impact organization. We truly believe in the power of of physical environments to make the world better, and we've chosen to really focus on. Uh, college and university uh, clients because we think it really magnifies the impact of our work. So we we literally every year there are millions and millions of students that are impacted by places that we've designed. So we think if we can be really smart about how we design those spaces and intentional uh, that we can have a world-changing impact. That, that is exactly what we want to do. Um, we, I, I'm very fortunate to work with a lot of very smart people like Lauren Rollman. Uh, we have other, <clears throat> other researchers, social researchers uh, on our staff, which is unusual for a design firm. Um, we've been thinking a lot about um, how do we measure the impact of what we're doing and uh, have research-informed processes. Uh, we're also <clears throat> very, uh, it's very unusual that we are a certified B Corporation. 
we're just one of a handful of, of design firms in the world that have achieved uh, achieved that. It's something we're really proud of. Proud of. We th we think of it as uh, a mechanism that uh, to express who we are as an organization. And uh, for those of you who don't know, B Corp is uh, a social environmental impact standard. So Patagonia is probably the best known B Corporation and Ben and Jerry's, but it's uh, it it shows, I think, the heart of the people that I work with. You know, I love the descriptions and the descriptions themselves point out how differently you approach the work. So you describe the, the organizations as very different, but you're, even your approaches are different. I'm wondering, can you go back in time, each of you, maybe maybe starting uh, with you, Jan, go back and tell us how, how did you come to this place? How did you um, certainly decide to do architecture, but arrive at this perspective on architecture that is as you describe it. And Sally, I'll, I want to have you do the same in just a minute too. How did you come to this role that looks a certain way, you know, marketing and brand officer and this sort of thing, but then expressed and practiced in a different way. So Jan, could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. There's, I, I love the question, Lauren, and it, two things come to mind. Uh, one has to do with um, environmental behavior research approach to design. And the second has to do with an engagement approach. When, when I first got out of architecture school, I worked for a small firm that was doing, um, had gotten a commission to design a bunch of special needs housing uh, for Goodwill, uh, the Goodwill uh, Corporation. And they gave it to me to design. And these were people with cognitive disabilities, um, had uh, severe uh, other buildings were for people with uh, severe mental uh, disabilities and uh, some with physical challenges. And it was such a heavy responsibility as a young designer. So I started to look at all of these, this, the research and read as much as I could about how um, how space physical space impacts people at different uh, ability levels, and it just changed the way I started to think about design. Uh, it it brought a level of responsibility that I just um, maybe an awareness of how physical environments can change a person's life. The second uh, kind of formative um, experience was one of our first, after I started workshop, we got hired by a university to design a new student union. And the, uh, the building was funded by student fees, 100%. And when students agreed to fund this project, they had a provision that they would get to make all the decisions. And administration would only be there to advise them. And so we are these young, eager architects, and we suddenly had this room full of students, and um, we, we had to figure out how to work with them. We immediately found out that drawings weren't going to be the answer. You know, so uh, we moved into the res halls 
and we lived there for a while and walked the campus with them at night and heard stories about the meaning of different spaces uh, on campus. And, um, and then we started building models hands-on that we could <clears throat> get together and rip apart and put together in different ways. And we co-created a vision for this project. And uh, that then became, uh, suddenly we became known as this firm that could work with college students. This was 25 years ago. And every project since then has built on that mm. approach to engagement. And um, we still build a lot of models. It's just that now we use 3D printers and um, CNC milling machines <laughs> mm -hmm. more than we do exacto knives. Um, although there's some of that too. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Sally? What? How have? You, how did you arrive at this perspective on what you do that's just a little different than others? Well, it is so nonlinear. Um, I actually started out thinking I wanted to do, I don't know, international relations or something like that. I studied international affairs and economics in, in undergrad when I wasn't honestly snowboarding. I was in Colorado. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, was, I think I was actually studying good powder days. But um, but uh, anyway, uh, and, and working in hospitality kind of part time while I was in school, but um, just loved it. And I, I am analytical. I, I really love insights work. Um, so that part of my brain was certainly having a good time, but the hospitality part just felt more human to me. It felt more like, um, purposeful. I'm going to take care of other humans. I'm going to have some sort of connection to, and feeding is very human, right? It's so personal and it's so necessary that it, it felt really, um, warm and personable to me. And anyway, so I went to culinary school, actually, I started that direction. I went to the university, I went to Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. And this is a crazy story. However, um, when I was there, um, early on, uh, Julia Child came to campus and, um, I was one at this, this is my early twenties. And I was one of those early twenties people who didn't really, I wasn't afraid of things. And I just raised my hand for everything, which I've often told people I actually recommend because you never quite know what getting yourself into hot water is actually going to do for you, which is what the story is really about. So uh, Julia Child came to, came to campus and somebody, they said, you know, who wants to make an omelet for Julia Child in the boardroom? And of course, my hand shot straight up before I could think about, you know, how intimidating that actually should be. Um, so I ended up in this situation where I was in the board. I, I mean, I'm a youngster and, I, you know, but I love what I'm doing. I love learning. I love being in school. I'm having a great time. So I'm, I'm up at the boardroom at the Culinary Institute and I'm making an omelet for Julia Child. Now I practiced ad nauseum. I mean, it's an omelet and it's Julia Child, right? <laughs> it, it's like the height of doing it right in French cuisine for the height of uh, who knows what that looks like. So practice, practice, practice. I get up there, I'm table side. There's all these really important people around this table, right? Everybody's who's who of kind of the industry. And, um, and I'm, you know, this kid in the corner, just trying not to mess up an omelet. And, um, in my practice, I did it right, you know, 512 times. But when I got in front of Julia Child, I messed up her omelet 
Um, and mm-hmm. by doing that, what I did was I, I got too much color on it. So she, um, you know, she sees me over there and I'm struggling and I'm like at this table and corner and she's at this very important meeting. And I'll never forget as long as I live, she got up from the table and she came over to me and I was by far the least important person in this room. Um, and she spent the rest of the meeting with me. Um, so wow. she came over, you know, put her arm around me and she said in her way, don't worry about it, babe. Just put some chives over the top and nobody will ever notice. And I've seen these <laughs> chef, chef shows. That's not how it works on TV. <laughs> There's a lot of yelling. Yeah, no, she was just unbelievable. Um, she So she sat there with me and she practiced with me and showed me that my arm technique needed to be different. Wow. And what that really, what that really meant to me foundationally was that, you know, there's just this lovely human connection of, of, of everybody in the room, no matter what position you're in. And she changed my, the tra- trajectory of my career and how I think and how I, how I approach leadership. You know, what it, what, what better leadership's um, lesson than, than Julia thinking I was important when I, I really wasn't. And uh, so anyway, big change in my life and a big, big change of hospitality, I think, entering my blood system. Yeah. What an experience to have. That's amazing. So Jan, I want to go to you with this next question. It makes me think, listening to you both talk, we're talking about international students. We're talking about people with different backgrounds, how to serve them. And Jan, you kind of started at architecture school. I think you had a whole mm-hmm. life before you went to architecture school. Is that fair? Uh, <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> yes. So tell us kind of what made you even like, who were you before you decided to become mm. an architect or did you just born that way? I was made that way. <laughs> so um, my father immigrated from Holland and he was a, he couldn't speak English when he got here. Um, he was, I just little shout out to Marquette University. He was working on the boilers and uh, one of the nuns took him under his, uh, her wing and said, his name is Jan also. Jan, you need to learn to speak English and you need to go to college. So um, he ended up uh, an engineer. And then at night, he started designing houses for people. And because he was, you know, um, very industrious. And uh, we, my grandpa in Holland was a blacksmith and taught my dad blacksmithing. So we would tear down barns, salvage the wood, um, and then we would get scrap iron and weld these like beam brackets together. And then uh, we would build these big fires and pour oil on it to anodize it. And from this, we would build these really handcrafted houses. And so the whole time I was growing up, it was building. And my dad would, does he would, because he wasn't an architect, he would build these elaborate models in our house with every piece of wood glued in, like every two by four, so I could figure out how much wood to buy. And um, he used to tell me if he could do it again, he would have been an architect. Hmm. And so now both my brother, who's uh, one of my colleagues at workshop, and, and I are both architects. And I just n- never consider doing anything differently. 
That's amazing. So Sally, a little different question, but kind of continuing on your path, you figure out how to make an omelet with Julia Child. Like where, where did your career go from there? Oh, geez. Um, well, I, I, sp- I did spend some time in um, the hospitality industry and I, I worked for um, another incredible guy named Rick Bayless in Chicago. Mm. Um, I, after culinary school, I really wanted to learn about regional, authentic Mexican cuisine. And I really wanted to learn about the people of Mexico through their cuisine, I think might be more specific how to do that. So um, he wasn't hiring. So this is a true story. This sounds a little stalkerish, but I, I would go see him every day and I'd say, I really think you should hire me. And he was like, yeah, we don't know. And then, you know, I'd come back, I'd be like, no, no, you, you should hire me. And he was like, yeah, no, we don't have any positions because we don't, we don't take interns. We're not going to do that. And then finally I convinced them. I said, how about this? If uh, I'll work for free for 30 days. And if you don't think I'm worth paying after 30 days, I'll leave you alone. And he said, deal. So I don't, again, I don't know. I, I just didn't have much fear. I just was like, you know, let's just see what happens. And that, that gets you a long way. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, so I just went for it and, and he was really special for me. I, I learned a lot there. So I would cook during the day and I would, he had an incredible library and I would spend my evenings reading through his incredible library. And then I met all of the people that worked there and they would tell me their stories and I brought in a map of Mexico and then they would point, I would point to different places on the map and they would tell me about what it would be like to live there. It was really a beautiful time. And he was really a pioneer because he had the whole families working in his restaurant. It was really exceptional. And at the time, all these experiences, I didn't know how I was going to weave them together, but it turned out that they each taught me like one foundational thing about the leader I am today, right? So Julia taught me that everybody has something to share and everybody's important and, um, and that grace, leadership grace looks like getting up from the important table. Um, and then, you know, he kind of taught me that investing in, understanding others takes you kind of everywhere and um, you never know what you're going to learn from others and to invest in your people. So um, again, you know, once it was in my blood, I think that hospitality piece just kind of continued. And I, um, I don't know, I just kept working hard and getting lucky. I had a lot of good mentors. I got really lucky. Oh, Sally, we need to spend time together because I lived in Mexico <laughs> for, for a bit. And I once no. saw Rick Bayless give a, a keynote at a, at a food service conference. Maybe you were there on culture and he he did it by cooking it was all food and color and story and people and histories and narratives and journeys it was fantastic and uh we didn't get to eat any of it and i love mexican food but the but his ability to transmit uh really important messages around culture through the food and the people was just unbelievable so that must have been fantastic and and to translate that into an industry that historically didn't focus on the culture of the workers and the, or the culture of that you're, mm-hmm. that you're creating at the place where everybody works so hard and is in such a human industry, yeah. right? He was really a pioneer in terms of culture in so many yeah. ways. And I really learned so much there that became, I mean, if, as a brand officer, you're, it, let's talk about it. it. It's, it's general. I'm, I'm a little bit of a generalist, but at the heart of it, it's about creating a culture that is differentiated and special and unique and memorable and worth worthwhile for people to engage with. Right. And all of those foundational things, I think were something I learned along the way from one of those mentors. And he yeah. was definitely one of them. You, you know, speaking of lessons, you mentioned you encourage people to raise their hand uh, before mm-hmm. they thought too much about it. And, and yeah. Jan, you, you may not have been asked to raise your hand on this Goodwill project, but you certainly didn't quit. You went ahead and 
did it anyways. And you said you, your first higher ed project was a student union and you hadn't done one before, right? So there's so there's sort of this, I've never done this, but I'm going to do it anyways uh, theme here. I'm wondering if you could talk about why do you encourage people to do that? And does failure, you know, have there been times you've done that where it's been really um, a blow to your ego? I mean, what do you do? Leadership is full of these moments of decisions and risk and opportunity and challenge and decision-making. What do you, why do you tell people that? And have you encountered moments where it didn't quite work out? And what did that teach you? I think the biggest for me, um, looking back on my my career path, the biggest decision was to quit my job and start a mm-hmm. firm. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I had, we had just had, my wife and I just had our first child. She had gone to a job share. We had no money and had this opportunity and quit, told her I was going to quit my job and um, I didn't know what, was what her I response? didn't know. <laughs> what was her she, response? Uh, well, Kelsey, she knew it was coming one day because I think um, I was 35. We met when I was 20, and I was talking. I was talking about someday I'm going to start a firm <laughs> because my immigrant father drilled it into me. <laughs> like, yeah, start your own firm someday. Um, but I just, you know, looking back, if I would have known what I learned uh, in those years afterwards, I don't think, I just don't know, to be honest, if I would have had the guts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was hard. It was much harder than I expected. <laughs> I mean, I had no idea what I did. So maybe know. not knowing as much as the gift to the, oh, ap- to the, to the courage. Ab- absolutely. There, um, not knowing, but then getting, I quickly learned how important co- co- colleagues that you and friends that you're working with friends and um, that you can lean on each other and, and have this, an ability to share, you know, how uh, scared you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that there's, there's been other other times that it, along the way, there's been just so many wonderful, uh, magical, incredible moments. But there's been some really tough ones, like through the working through the recession and anyone in the construction design was just brutal. You know, so difficult. Um, and, and Sally, you you mentioned raising your hand, encouraging people to do that. Um, I can't remember exactly how you described it, but what I heard, if you didn't say it, was don't be afraid, just do it, right? Mm-hmm. Can you yeah. can you talk about uh you know why you tell folks that and in, in your teams and also in the context of now your leadership responsibilities when doing so actually can commit to the commit the organization to things or themselves to things that might be more challenging. How do you work through are there times you I mean, have you have you pulled back from that at all in your leadership role now that you have more responsibility, or is that still a way you work? Oh, risk is very real for me. Let's just I mean, let's be real. I do assess risk more now, certainly, than I did when I was twenty two. But um, I don't think it should let you. You should let it drive you, right? So um, 
not taking any risks is certainly not going to lead to an extraordinary life or extraordinary outcomes. I think that balance and, and thinking through, you know, sometimes the worst that can happen, it really isn't that bad. And sometimes the upside of what you could achieve if you didn't try is, is extraordinary. So, um, yeah, I do. I think, you know, that's not to say that, that, um, there isn't certain risks in big decisions, but the act of going for it, I think is half the reason people can be successful. You never know what you're going to achieve. You know, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've made a phone call to somebody like a yawn and said, Hey, I, you, would you like to partner with us? Um, and where some people would say, Oh, they wouldn't want to do that. The answer is yes. And then you go, Oh, well, wait a minute. How did that just work out? Right. It was because I just asked. Um, I also have to credit, you know, the way I was, I, I grew up with an incredible father who used to say to me, the worst they can say is no. Right. And, uh, kind of giving, I think young, from a young age, I was given the permission that failure wasn't that, wasn't the biggest thing to be afraid of. Right. It's not the biggest danger in your life because most of, most of the time you're going to be able to come back from it and you're going to get better and learn from it. And, you know, it's a trip. It's, it's not something that should devastate you and, and your ego should never be so big that it gets in the way of you, you know, having a failure along the way. So I think that was liberating. And I've tried to raise my daughter with kind of some of that philosophy as well. So what's a lesson or something you're learning right now? Right? So this, this overtime and risk, reward, failure, but right now, where you're at in your leadership roles, what's something you're learning about yourself, about your leadership? Sally, you look like you might have an answer. I have like 15 and I'm not quite sure which one I want to give you. Um, <laughs> Go with number <yeah>. seven. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, this comes to mind. I don't know if this is actually the best one, but um, <laughs> we're in the strangest place right now professionally where our growth is extraordinary. And, you know, I've been in situations where you didn't have extraordinary growth, but in, in the role I'm in now, we are at a place where our brand is, is as strong as it's ever been. And I'm thankful to the operators I work with and the partners we have for that. And that's not to say we don't make mistakes, but I think it's more about the fact that people have figured out that we'll walk through walls for them. We are there for them. They can text me and I am there. And the partnership means everything to us. So anyway, we've been growing rapidly. And, and actually, I never really thought about this as a problem, but I think, you know, leading through growth is just as big as leading through a downside in some ways, because you really have, it's hard to say, it's hard to figure out what to say no to. It's hard, it's hard to not do everything. Um, but yet as a leader, I owe that to my team to um, kind of figure out what are the things that um, need to be the highest priorities and how do we continue this growth, but do it in a way that everybody can really feel good about and be successful and the team can have balance and be strong. Um, and I, I think it's going relatively well, but I think a lot about that on a daily basis. Yeah, that's totally fair. I mean, burnout can happen in both directions if we're not careful. Well, in big in growth, it seems like you have the potential to lose yourself a little bit because yep. you're chasing what's next and trying to just accomplish. And yeah, it's a really important point. I mean, remembering what you're about, what kinds of growth you want, what your values are as you get there, who's important to to keep as part of the family as you. I mean, all those things are just just as important as yeah. So I love that. 
if I'm being honest though, I think I love that because that's kind of also my job, right? Is to keep us on track from a brand and culture perspective. So it's a rich time to be working in this field. I get to keep us on track. And I think we've done a pretty good job with it, but I also find, I love challenges. So for me, that's nice and juicy. Love it. How about you, Jan? What's on your list? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm spending a lot of time um, right now on planning for the longevity of the firm. So I'm spending much more time, um, as they say, working on the business rather than in the business. So we're, uh, my role has really changed over the last number of, of years, and it's changing more now to one of facilitating other really talented people and um, helping them really be the, the leading the the. Uh, the design and the, which in our firm, that's the big outcome. Um, but being, um, working on like the structure of the firm and how can we, as we've continued to grow, keep this, what, what we love and what's so like our soul and what's so important to us, um, and let that grow with us. And, and not certainly not get get lost. So that's really fun. I really enjoy, uh, I, I've been learning a lot myself through this process and it's exciting to think about the next generations of leadership as, um, as my role has really shifted. Um, I've got a, being with, I, I work with, people that just are, I, I do it much better than I did. <laughs> and, and that's super exciting to see the firm do better as other people are uh, taking up leadership roles. And uh, my, my role is the elevated importance of being there as an encourager um, to colleagues is is something that I love anyways. I love to see other people do well and grow. And um, so it's a fun time in my career. Plus, I got to say, we are working on the coolest projects. <laughs> I just, I, my mind is blown when I, if you, what I get to work on and just like walk through the office and see what people are doing, it, it truly blows my mind. It's, it's incredible. That's amazing. So you get to be the architect of your firm, of the people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just the next phase of architecture for you. That's amazing. So before we end our time with you all today, I want to, I know both of you a little bit and know you do some fun things outside of work. So can you share with our listeners, like, how do you keep yourself grounded? You both have very big roles. Um, you're running companies, you're running a brand for a company. There's lots of expectations in what you're doing. So how do you relax, unwind, spend your time? Jan, I'm going to have you go first. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. I know you are. I feel like, I think, I think it's like you're a professional at <laughs> that. Oh, uh, well, I live on a sailboat 
part-time in Seattle. Um, I, I, I'm based in Milwaukee, but um, I spend a good part of the summer uh, working from Seattle and um, love sailing, we ski, we hike, just really connecting with the outdoors is, is uh, really key. I feel like you're playing down your sailing. Were you, weren't you a competitive sailor? <laughs> or didn't you competitively sail or am I misremembering? Yeah. Yep. No, we, um, so sailing has always been a big part of our family's life, um, Lake Michigan. Uh, so we used to campaign a race boat and, um, did the Chicago Mackinac race, uh, many times. And, uh, now have gone into a slightly different uh, type of sailing on the um, Puget Sound and uh, have just this love. Uh, I've always loved water, but now I have this new piece called Mountains <laughs> that have <laughs> stolen my heart. I also have two sons that live, both have uh, went to college at Seattle University and um, fell in love with Seattle and um, now live there and have are a strong draw and they're super fun. I love it. I mean, when you can mix mountains and water, you get both. Oh, my doesn't gosh. get much better than that. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, we talked about sailing, but the reality is the big thing is cycling. Mm. Oh. Cycling is like my lifesaver it's the thing that um i can get on my bike with all the worries in the world and 10 miles into it you can just feel them start to peel off that's so if there's one thing in my life that i really makes like high pressure uh work doable <laughs> i think it's my bike <laughs> If I was to share, like, what it, what have I learned as a leader in after running this firm for almost thirty years? The importance of like health, mm -hmm. uh, health balance, balance, exercise, yeah. Yeah. mental health. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Um, it, it it just took me 25 years till somebody pointed that out. I think I almost killed myself up until that point. How about you, Sally? What do you do? Are you racing well, sailboats? Mean, I don't know. How, I don't know how to answer after he lives on a sailboat. <laughs> <laughs> you had me at sailboat. Well, um, you started yeah. at snowboarding earlier in the. Yes. <laughs> I still do ski and snowboard. I love that. You know, you can take the girl out of Colorado, but. Uh, I still go back a lot. Um, yeah, no, I, I also, I have a 22 year old daughter who is just so cool. I would be friends with her even if she wasn't my daughter. <laughs> so I really enjoy spending time with her. And, um, I have uh, a big garden hobby. I really love to garden. I, I grow a lot of vegetables and fruits and stuff. And I really enjoy that. I think that's the back to nature part for me, but I love that. And, um, and then I have, this is so embarrassing, but um, a little bit of a thing for like really messed up animals. So I, <laughs> Kelsey, you cannot make that face at me. All right. So, I mean, I can't think of the height of it. I, I, I had three dogs with one working eye between them, but um, <laughs> now I'm at like 
zero working eyes and like, you know, anyway, I rescue senior dogs and oh. I don't know. It's just a passion. That's of nice. mine. So, so they're a lot of fun, but I only like the, they're hilarious too. I mean, they provide a lot of entertainment. So oh, those are a few things I do. So you love people and animals. You're well-rounded. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I hate to say it. Well, we really wanted our listeners to experience what our conversations are like, Kelsey and my conversations with colleagues that we adore. And we wanted our listeners to hear that business partners, people adjacent to higher education, think about uh, think about the student experience, think about the campus experience. You certainly illustrated that. I promise everybody we we prepped you none. And you really, you know, I think shared why we love working for um, uh, these two companies, uh, Chartwell's Compass and, uh, you know, Workshop. So, you know, when you say things like creating environments that impact lives and bringing joy to higher education and staying hungry, humble and smart and all of those kinds of things, that it just um, feels so good to us to, to be able to work with you. So we want to thank you for sharing your talents and your reflections and your leadership with us and uh, your, your comments and insights with all of our, our listeners. So on to more together. Um, can I just point out, you didn't just not prep us. You gave us different questions than you actually asked us. <laughs> That's by design. Hey, you got we, questions? We knew you raised your hand at everything. So. <laughs> it didn't turn out to mean it to matter, Jan, so you didn't miss oh, anything okay. with the questions. Well, that's good. Well, you That's passed. quite a trick, y'all. I'm going to try that. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you I passed. Think it worked out okay. Oh, yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> Campus Confidential is presented by Compass Group, produced by Corey Insko, with your hosts, Kelsey Harmon-Finn and Lauren Rollman.